I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. And so if we want to keep eating the same amount of food so that we don't get hungry, we all, all we need to do is change the calorie density of the food we eat. And so one thing, it's the easiest thing, is just take out the oil. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not vegan, nobody needs to eat processed oil. People are like, oh, my brain needs fat. There's fat in everything. There's fat in greens. There's trace amounts of fat in fruit. There's Oats are almost 20% fat. If you want to eat fat, eat it in its whole form, like nuts, seeds, and avocado. But nobody needs to be having something that's 4,000 calories a pound. It's just, it's, it, to me, that's like the most ridiculous triumph of marketing over science that anybody in our species or any species needs a processed oil that's not found in nature, that's had its vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants and fiber and water stripped from it. It makes no sense. So just if people just stop the oil, I bet you they'll see weight loss, even if they did nothing else. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, my Plan Strong sweet potatoes. I hope that you're having a fantastic week because we're about to make it even better. And my guest today on the Plant Strong podcast loves sweet potatoes more than any other person that I know. And I think it's fair to say that if she had to be one vegetable, it would be a huge, scrumptious sweet potato. Today, we are going to sing, dance, and rap with the legendary Chef AJ as we celebrate the 10th anniversary and the re-release of her book, Unprocessed, revitalize your health with whole 
foods. Chef AJ has been a dear friend of mine for over a decade and know that there is never a dull moment in today's conversation. And that's what makes her so special. She is going to share her own difficult health journey that is gut-wrenching and yet so relatable to so many of us. Of course, she'll also make you laugh with her hilarious quotes and anecdotes. But the thing that makes Chef AJ so special is that through humor, stories, and her gorgeous recipes, she has learned how to educate about sustainable weight loss in a way that is both simple and super powerful. I am thrilled to welcome Chef AJ today, but you know, heck, we could even call her Chef Aha, because I know you're going to have plenty of aha moments today. Now, before we dive in, I want you to know that May is National Blood Pressure Month. If you're not aware, close to 25% of American adults are on some sort of a hypertensive medication. And hypertension, it's known as the silent killer because in most cases it has zero symptoms. People with elevated blood pressure are straining their hearts by making them work harder to move blood around. And what's contributing to all that hypertension? You guessed it, salt. The basic problem with salt is that it encourages fluid retention in our bodies. Normally, our kidneys deploy a precise balance of potassium and sodium to remove extra water from the blood. But when you consume too much salt, this fragile sodium to potassium balance is absolutely destroyed. And as a result, your kidneys remove less water from your system. This now puts damaging pressure on blood vessels in your kidneys and your arteries bulge to accommodate the extra fluid. Now, one of our goals at Plant Strong Foods is to be as low in sodium as possible with all of our products. That is why our chef-created culinary broths are 100% unsalted. All four organic broths are big on flavor to help you enhance and elevate all of your favorite recipes, but we intentionally left out all of the salt other than naturally occurring sodium so that you can control the salt in all of your meals. Check out our unsalted broths and our growing assortment of other delicious products made without oil, added sugar, or excessive sodium. You can go to plantstrongfoods.com. Now, let's hop on in with Chef AJ. AJ, I've missed you. I missed you too, because I have all these desserts I'm testing, 160 of them, and I got nobody to eat them. <laughs> what about Charles and Bailey? Well, do- well, first of all, dogs should never have chocolate and Charles can't eat chocolate either. So, I mean, and plus I don't live anywhere where there's like vegans. So it's like, it's been really hard. Wow. You can't find, find any, <laughs> any well, I'm any sure food. people, I, you know, but I want, I want, you know, I want our people to taste some, you know? Yeah. 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 Man. So first let me say, I love that you're wearing your kale t-shirt. I love being Twinkies with you. How old, how old is that shirt? Can you remember when? Oh my God, I got it at the, whatever the first engine two conference I was at, at. So it's gotta be 10 years old. 
Yeah. I think it's holding up remarkably well. Well, you know what? Wash in cold water and don't put it in the dryer. That's my secret. Oh, you have all kinds of tips, which, which I can't <laughs> wait to get to today. So can would you remember the last time that we, or not the last time, the first time that we met? Yes, you were staying at Kobe's house in Northridge. And it was June of 2000. Gosh, it's either eight or nine. This is where I might be off. Wow, by that's impressive. It was eight. It was eight, I think. This was just before you reach superstar status. You were like almost at the pinnacle. Like people kind of knew you. It was like just before you got huge. And you were staying there with your parents and you were going to speak at this place on Father's Day, which I think was June 19th, the next day, which was, I think, touted to be a big event. But as you know, it really wasn't kind of a big event. You kind of got snookered into it. Ended up being a bit of a dud. Yeah. Right. And I somehow can, I don't remember if I connected with your parents first or somebody. And I said, would you guys like to come for dinner? And I remember, I even remember the dress I was wearing. I don't have it anymore. So I picked you up in my tiny little matrix and you know, your dad barely fit in it because he's so tall. Right. And, and my mom and I were sitting in the back, literally holding on for dear life as you're like talking to Essie and you're, oh, switch, you're switching, it. switching lanes. And my mom so- and I are like, Oh my God, we're going to die. And you know, funny, funny enough, John Pierre was there too, but I didn't actually meet him, meet him. I like, I waved to him, but I didn't, I didn't meet him the same way that I met you guys. And you came for dinner. And I remember your mom was so full. She, she talked about this on my show recently. She had to like lay down on the floor. <laughs> Because I fed you guys too much and I didn't really understand calorie density back then. So it was too much high calorie density food with too many nuts. I mean, it was delicious and everything like that. And then the next day when you and your father spoke at this event, yeah. uh, you guys were speaking and your mother slipped on a piece of wet fruit that was left on the floor. It was a kiwi. A kiwi. Yeah, gosh. I thought it was an apricot. But it, so she ended up, it turned out she ended up breaking her hip. But first of all, there's two funny parts to this story. Number one, she blamed me because she said, well, if I hadn't eaten so much at your house the night before, you know, I probably wouldn't take in such a fall. And number two, it was really funny is uh, you guys were trying to give your talk. You knew something was going on because there were paramedics there and she's on the gurney. And and at the time, I think she was maybe 74. I don't remember her exact age, but she was in her seventies and they're asking her her age. uh, What medications are you on? None. What diseases do you have? None. And they're looking at her like, what yeah. you know and and then she and then she was like selling your book to the paramedics saying well that's my son and he's a it was it, i mean other than the fact that she had a broken hip it was adorable that, <laughs> no that was <clears throat> that was a remarkable weekend it really was aj it is so fantastic to have you on the plan strong mm-hmm. podcast i've been trying to make this happen I forever, I- and i wanted to do it in person yeah that and then obviously great. and then obviously covid hit Right. And then everything kind of got turned upside down. And, and now, obviously, it's, you know, with what they've done now with technology and Zoom and some of these other streaming platforms, it's 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 so much more cost effective. It's, it does, you don't have the same vibe. I know. And you don't get the same dessert. I can't bring you. Can I say one thing, Rip? Part of that story, I totally forgot. So your mom ends up in, I think it was Tarzana Hospital because she needs to get her hip fixed. And so your dad, Essie, Dr. Esselstyn's visiting her, but she's in a shared room. And the other patient in the other room had no idea that this was like Dr. Esselstyn. And she's like ordering your dad around, like, get me some water. And your dad just like does it. He's like, oh my God, I'm there visiting. He's like, this is Dr. Esselstyn. You call your nurse. And like, he just this doesn't he's so sweet yeah he he really is a great gentle wonderful man that's it a gentleman a gentleman they don't make those anymore unfortunately 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I can't believe speaking of super stardom, I can't believe how far you've come Mm. since we, since we met in, in 2008, 2009. And the fact that, you know, you've got, I don't know, three, four books under your belt, you've got eBooks, you've got weight loss programs, you know, you've got TV shows that you've done most recently you've, I mean, was it just like a stroke of luck or brilliance that you started your AJ live YouTube in March, 2020? uh, You know, they say that uh, the the Chinese word for luck is preparation meets opportunity. I had no dreams or aspirations to be a quote YouTuber, but what happened, it was my pandemic pivot because most of the time I was traveling, like at least two or three times a month, conferences, cruise ships, you know, to speak, which was very fun. You met, met a lot of people. But of course, the pandemic shut every job down. Well, since then, the last job I had in person was November of 2019. And I'm not very good with technology. And I had gotten this new technology called Restream that allows you to stream multiple places live at the same time, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And I had a lot of hard, a lot of trouble setting it up. And what I was trying to do was go live to, I have a little private group, and I was trying to go live to them at the start of the pandemic, March 20th, 22, to say, hey, you know, let's connect, blah, blah, blah. And it went everywhere. And there was like 600 people watching. I'm like, whoa, people wanted a connection. And I, I felt like I can't just be me every day. What am I going to say? So I started calling on friends and favors. And then all of a sudden it became like a show because then people kept writing in. At one point we had 200 guests we had to book. Can I be on your show? And I'm like, I don't have a show, but now I do have a show. It's called Chef AJ Live. You've been on it, your sister, your mom, your dad, your your parents were just on episode 900. I'm approaching episode 1000 and I'm having the time of my life because I would not have met all these people if I continued to travel. I mean, I may have, but, but I'm reaching more people in more countries and I'm meeting some of the coolest people that are plant-based advocates and staunch supporters that not everybody gets to know because not everybody gets those limited jobs that you see on the cruise ships and the conferences. Um, You're approaching like a thousand of these episodes. Are you doing them like literally every day? I have them every day. So the daily time of my show is 11 a.m. But what happens is friends and publishers say, oh, so-and-so has a new book. And instead of telling me a few months in advance, they tell me a week in advance. So there have been times where I've had to do five shows a day, which I don't really like to do. But often I have to do a bonus show at 2 p.m. And I don't like to say no to people. And yeah, so, but it's so much fun because it's it's like what you're doing right now. You connect with a person and it just happens to be different only because there's people watching live that well, this, can ask questions. Well, this seems like it's so incredible incredibly well suited to your personality, you know, and you're so gregarious and you're so curious and your IQ is obviously higher than your cholesterol <laughs> level, right? Absolutely. Just because my cholesterol is so darn low. <laughs> Do you know what your cholesterol level is? these days? You know, at it, it, one point it really was 99, but the last time I checked it, boy, it got up to 122. One door. That's still great. I know. I'm just kidding because I because I have an outgoing message on my machine. It's a rap song that goes, "My cholesterol's 99, man. What the hell is yours?" And but at the time it was. But it's it's about 122 now. So is that a rap? Does it rhyme? It didn't yeah, sound. Yeah, it's, it's a. It's. A, I, I can't do it without telling you my phone number. But I go. This is. That's three four three six, and it spells Fido. It's the answering machine of Abby J, and it's time for the sermon of the day. I say, be kind to animals and do what you can. Remember, you shouldn't be eating a man because meat is murder, and the time to stop is now. I mean, even Bart Simpson says, "Don't have a cow." So if you want to be a saint and not a sin, remember, creatures are for loving and not for dinner. If you still eat rotten flesh, it 
every meal, make sure it's soft and safe and never eat veal. You know, there's some things we all can do for sure, like boycott ivory and don't wear fur to show I practice what I preach and that these just ain't words. My cholesterol's 99, man. What the hell is yours? And that's been on my answering machine since the year 2000 or on my voicemail. And a lot of people don't like it because they don't know that they can actually just push and get to the beep. <laughs> Maybe, what is that? A, a minute and 12 seconds? Something like that. But the certain plant-based doctors, like they say, they don't like it. Like, I can't refer you to speak. You said the word hell in your outgoing message. So, well, they haven't seen you upside down without your panties on then. Right. And I cannot do that anymore because just because now that I'm 62, the orthopedic doctor said, you got to stop standing on your head. It's not good for you because I don't do I don't do a handstand. I do a headstand. And that's just too much pressure for this. Well, and, and just for a little context, so that doesn't sound totally nutty what I just said. So can you like, so when was it that you were on Carson? Oh, and- September 1st, 1987. I will never forget that day. It was a Tuesday. He was such a great showman. And that that's on my YouTube channel. And it's probably on his YouTube channel too. So I wanted to be a comedian growing up a, or improvisational comedian or stand-up comedian. And I've dabbled in both, not to any degree of success. But when I was on 20, when I was 27 years old, my agent got me an interview with the booker of the Tonight Show, Bob Dolce, and I was accepted. And I did a, a bit. It, this was before we had shows like, you know, 30 Seconds to Fame or America's Got Talent. Uh, so it, it was called a novelty act or a variety act, which actually it was something, believe it or not, that I was doing from the age of, of 14 and getting on shows. We're talking like I was on The Tonight Show. A lot of people don't know this because there's no way to verify it. I don't have the film. But when I was 14 years old, I was on The Tonight Show the first time with Joey Bishop, who was a guest host for Johnny Carson doing doing a part of this act. And I had gotten on shows like the Gong Show, and I even got to go to other countries like Japan to do this act, which was great because, you know, it paid pretty good back in the day. And so I developed this little comedy act where I play. It's not really a flute, like in the traditional sense of a woodwind instrument. It's an, it's, it actually is a musical instrument called a tonette, which it's not a kazoo because you have to know the fingering. You have to know how to play the instrument. But I could play not one, but two through my nose at the same time, which was kind of unique. But then to up the game, it's like it, it was like, well, is that all you got? I, I learned to do it upside down while standing on my head. And then and to impress the booker of The Tonight Show even more, I was blowing bubbles with bubble gum at the same time. So it, none of these things are easy on their own, but to do all three at the same time was kind of cool, especially since Johnny Carson doesn't meet you before you get on the show. He'll meet you in the dressing room and say hello. Right. I was on his podcast, by the way, but he doesn't rehearse with you the way they did, like when I was on Leno or uh, Letterman, where they actually see the act. It's so much better the way Johnny worked, because when you see my act the first time, it's hilarious, but the 10th time, not so much. So he's seeing it through his eyes the first time, and he's reacting in his, it, the best part of the act is him. His reactions are priceless because he is amazing. And so the gong show with Chuck Berry. What, yeah, that what, Chuck what, Pierce, that was in that was uh, that was in 1976. And the funny thing was, is I was a senior in high school at that time. And because I wasn't 18, it was, it was so funny because you can't you know, you had to be in like TV school and be tutored. It was it was kind of a strange experience to do it at that time. And, and that was fun. And I didn't win. But I remember JP Morgan was one of the judges and she gave me a 10. So God bless her. Mm-hmm. And Alan Ludden was one of the judges and Artie, Artie Johnson was one of the judges and they didn't give me such a good score. I think I got a six or an eight, but it, it really, it was, it was a fun experience. It really So on the gong show, were you doing the upside down thing? With the- I wasn't upside down yet because see, I did not learn to go upside down 
until my 20s when I started taking yoga. So I just did it right side up. And even then, and, and I play, one of the things on television is they don't want to have to pay for music. So you always have to do what's called a public domain song, you know, so that they don't. That's why if you ever watch TV shows, you notice that they very rarely sing happy birthday when it's a birthday, because that's ASCAP and mm-hmm. BMI. They usually sing for he's a jolly good fellow. So it's important that you do songs that they don't have to pay those fees. So I usually did uh, Rossini's William Till 1812 Overture because that was a, a song with a lot of trills and, the, and it was public domain. So that, that's what I did. And uh, yeah, well, that, you, yeah, I really don't do it anymore. <laughs> you've been plant-based for how many years? I've been plant exclusive for close to four. I don't like the word plant-based. I love Colin Campbell, but plant-based. Yeah. So many people say they're plant-based and they still eat meat and pork and because they think, because if they eat more plants, yeah. then, so I am plant exclusive. I am vegan 100%. And I just happen to be, I, I am whole food plant exclusive, but I'm plant exclusive. I'm not plant-based. It's all plants, baby. Yeah. All the way. And five years. And you got into the, was it the vegan or the vegetarian hall of fame? Well, the last, the last year they gave the award, which I believe was 2019, they were still calling it the vegetarian hall of fame. But once they start up again, I'm pretty sure they're going to rename it the vegan hall of fame. And so how did you get in there? I have no idea. Cause I didn't think they liked me at Summerfest because I, I advocate for the health message so much, even though at the end of the day, I became vegan for ethical reasons. And I was, I was really surprised. I mean, I was sitting there in the back row waiting to go home, you know, waiting to be driven home. And it's like my friend, because she knew she's like, no, no, we just, and I'm like, oh, this is so boring. I want, and I'm like, I look terrible. I'm in a sweatsuit because I'm about to get in a car. And then they, they are announcing it and they say, and this year's speakers from what, La- you know, the winners from Los Angeles. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I was excited because I really was a dream of mine to win that award. But then it was like, I was totally unprepared, you know? Yeah. But it was really a nice award because, you know, I don't need everybody to know who I am or even love me or admire me, but to win, what's that saying? Win the approbation of your peers or, you know, because, because that's really what my life's been about is helping animals and being vegan. And that was an acknowledgement that just by not eating them for 45 years, I've helped quite a few, I think. I think you have. Absolutely. So March 7th, this little puppy, right? Unprocessed, the 10th anniversary edition kind of went live. I can't, can you believe it's been 10 years since you wrote the first edition? I of can't believe it because, you know, I have the first one and you were so kind to endorse it. And you wrote, Chef AJ's food is as fun, filling, and fantastic as she is. The last time I ate dinner at her house, I had seven of her desserts. It's a good thing I live in Austin and not LA. So oh my God. People to endorse my book. So thank you for that. Yes. You're so welcome. So can you hold that up for a second? So I see a big potato on that one. You kind of, you move from the potato to this new cover. What's up yeah. with that? Okay. So one of the things we did, cause it turned out, well, so my, my first book, all my first books up until this one were self-published. And as you know, people love photos, right? And it's kind of hard to do when you self-publish. So we had Hannah Kaminsky take as many photos as we could of the recipes, but you know, technically there's still a type of a potato on the cover. Cause these are sweet potato nachos. So we would always have a potato somewhere. I want you to know this is drop dead gorgeous. I just looked on, uh, on Amazon. It's like number 401 of all books. On At one point it got close to a hundred. It was, it was number one in four categories, gluten-free 
fiber, which I didn't know was a category, that's weight that's loss and, and, and vegetarian cooking. So we were getting, I was hoping to break the top hundred, but we were kind of staying at 112 for a while, but well, yeah, very, very happy that people are supporting the book. Yeah. I need to let Will, uh, Will Bolshewitz know that you're number one in fiber. He's not going to be happy about yeah, that. I did beat him <laughs> for a little bit. I know I took a picture of that that day, but, but I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll get, take the reins back very soon because he's got another book coming out. But so tell me this. Yes, yes, he does. But tell me this. So 10th anniversary edition, right? What is different besides great fantastic? Let me just show some people, but the lasagna picture, the lasagna picture. Look at these, look at these photo, these uh, photographs, but what else is different? You got some new recipes. So I, I, so we kept all the same recipes. We took one out because I couldn't justify the use of alcohol anymore. Not that I ever drank, but there was one recipe where I used a little bit of mirin in it. And I felt that's not true to my message. So we took out one recipe, every other recipe. And I think there's 108 of them we left intact. But what I did, because as you know, I used to be 50 pounds heavier when I first met you, basically from eating nuts and not understanding calorie density, I wasn't eating junk food, is we gave options for those recipes that were higher in fat, not all of them, because some of them I couldn't, like, okay, for example, uh, um, some of the recipes, I just couldn't take all the fat out and have it be the recipe, but many of them we showed options. So in many cases, when recipes had nuts, for example, in desserts, when I was making, say, a crust or a truffle out of walnuts and dates, well, guess what I discovered? Oats are fantastic. They work perfectly and they are so much lower in calorie density and fat. So we gave options like for the brownie recipes and other recipes where you could use oats instead of nuts. And in the savory recipes where I was using nuts for creaminess, we found that guess what? You could use things like white beans, cannellini beans, or even steamed cauliflower. So we gave low fat options where we could. We added color photos And we have a new foreword by Dr. John McDougall that was very nice of him to write. And that was, I think, are the four major changes of the book. And who wrote the uh, foreword for the first edition of the book? Dr. Hans Deal. And since he's probably not going to be watching this, I'm going to tell you a funny story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he he wrote it, which was very nice because, you know, when I was starting out, like nobody knew I couldn't get arrested in the vegan world. You know, John McDougall, I didn't, I mean, I knew him, but I, I, you know, I would never ask him that. And so I don't know, it was like many, many years later, I get a call from Hans Deal telling me how much my story moved him. He had never actually read the book. (laughs) Until many <laughs> yeah. years later, when his wife read it and told him to read it, and I'm thinking, well, "Oh my God, you endorsed a book you never read." I mean, what's funny is it's not funny, but like your first book, I obviously endorsed it, right? And I was just looking at the recipes, and you know, so many of the just like the beginning material is this is what you should have in your kitchen, blah blah blah. So I want you to know that I read right all 35 pages before the recipes. And I was stunned and amazed because I didn't know your backstory like this. Mm-hmm. And to me, it so informs who you are today and kind of the path that you've chosen and, and, and really your success. I mean, so I would love it, the degree that you're comfortable mm-hmm. sharing, sharing your story starting when you were like seven years old. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, I mean, and I don't mind sharing it because I think it will give people hope. And that's why it's so hilarious for when people say, well, you know, you, you know, you're a skinny bee. It's so easy for you. And I'm like, really, really? Have you ever watched my lecture from fat vegan to skinny bitch? No. So I, you know, I, I think the only time I was at my ideal weight, other than the last 10 years, when I learned 
everything you guys teach and, and do and plant strong and your dad calorie density. I, I became obese at the age of five. And the thing is, is I was born in 1960 and there just weren't a lot of fat kids in the sixties. I was it. Cause I look at my, you know how every year, or maybe that, I don't know if they do this anymore, but growing up, they would do a school picture every year, like a panoramic school picture, you know, kindergarten, first grade, and it was black and white. And I'm looking at these, you know, now, and like there's 30, 40 kids in the class and there's literally one fat kid every year. And that was me. And it wasn't until really, like I started getting into college that I started seeing that there was getting to be some more fat people. This was getting now into the eighties. Right. Uh, so I was um, now I would fit in perfectly now. Like if, 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 if I was that age now, I'd be, I'd look like everybody else. So it is hard being the fat kid. And that's why, that's how come I became so funny because I, it was to deflect any kind of teasing or comments because my legal name, the reason I go by AJ, it's a couple of reasons. One, because it made it easier to get a chef job in the restaurant because on the resume, they didn't know if I was a man or a woman and if they always uh-huh. prefer men when you, but when you get there, like, Oh, you're a lady, but they still had to go through with it, it in, in chefing. It's, it's not like a verbal interview as much as a test meal, like, you know, so being AJ was better, but my legal name, Abby, everybody called me flabby Abby. And I hated that growing up, you know, and it's, let's it hurts and that kind of, and things like that. And so that was tough. And, uh, you know, I didn't get asked to my senior prom. Well, I, I actually asked the guy, you know, a friend and like an older guy, a guy that had already graduated last year, just so I could go. So, you know, it's not like my life was like this bed of roses growing up being fat. And so I struggled a lot and it wasn't just with my weight, but I, I had an eating disorder. And I, again, everything I had, it was before we had the information on how to really help people with it. So when I got anorexia, they did not well, I don't even know if they treat it, how they treat it now and if it's any better. But basically, when I became anorexic, like they considered that a mental diagnosis and they they lock you in a mental hospital. Like in a mental hospital, I'm not bashing mental hospitals, but it's not like you're in a ward with other anorexics. I mean, there are people there that are like, you know, there, there was an arsonist there, for example. I mean, like it's not like a it's not like a fun place to be, you know. And they and the way they treated it back then was, well, either you eat or we we tube feed you. It was like they it was just deplorable the, the kind of treatment that I had to undergo. And so it was just easier to eat and get gain enough weight just to get out of there. And the problem was is I didn't know what to eat. And you know, just just being vegan or plant-based is not enough because if you're eating crap, you're going to have health consequences, whether it's vegan crap or non-vegan crap. Crap is crap. (laughs) Yes. But so I get that. I mean, another part is that I had no idea, like, for example, about your father, like abandoning you, you know, and then you had you having to go and live with your aunt Yep. for like about two years. That was a blessing. Actually, you know, sometimes when stuff is happening to you, you think it's like the worst thing. But then when you look back, it's like, thank God. In my father's defense, he was kicked in the head by a horse, which made him violent and psychotic. Now, that doesn't mean he was a nice person before that, but I only knew him when I knew him. And so it was kind of a good thing that he abandoned us because what the living with him for the first 11 years was really, it was, it was like a, like imagine mommy dearest. It was like daddy dearest. So that actually turned out to be a good thing because I, I went into a loving home with an aunt and uncle who since passed away that took me in as, and they were my legal guardians. And that's really how the seeds of being chef AJ were created because my aunt was Swiss. She was born and raised in Geneva. My uncle met her while he was attending medical school there. And so her mother lived with us and the mother didn't speak any English but she was 
a, a cordon bleu chef. She had a five-star restaurant in Switzerland. And I watched this woman make dinner every night, like mm. from food. I mean, it wasn't vegan, but Rip, she used food. You know what I'm saying? Like there was no processed food in the house. Like she would go either to like a farmer's market or the, this nice store called Gelson's and she would buy things like leeks and, and she would make like recipes from food, not like today, like not hamburger helper. And it was just amazing what she would create. And like, it was amazing. The food was really quite delicious. And so it always piqued my interest in cooking that way from ingredients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a blessing. Absolutely. And so then- uh, I'm just trying to like remember, but so then you, you're after about like two years of living with them, you went back with your mother yeah. and then did you start cooking on your own? I did. You know, I remember I gave my first formal dinner party at the age of 14. Now I was living with my mom. Um, she had subscribed to these time life uh, recipe books. And I just, I loved, I loved cooking. And I mean, it wasn't vegan when I made it 14. I didn't become yeah. vegan until 17, but I remember the menu. It was stuffed Gornish stuffed. Cornish game hens with apple chestnut stuffing and a bourbon caramel mousse. And I can't remember what the, the vegetable, but I mean, I remember sending out invitations. It was so much fun. I mean, I, I love cooking because it's like arts to me. It's like arts and crafts. Like I'm sitting in my office and I'm not a very good artist, but I pretty much painted everything in here. Pictures of my, I mean, I cooking to me is fun because you get to make stuff and you get to eat it. So it doesn't take a room. Is it fair to say you love to cook? Well, I, I love to create, but right now, like if I had to do it every day in a restaurant, I wouldn't love it, but I do. I love to create. Like, I love it. Like Thomas Allen from California Balsamic was breezing through last week and he said, let's do a video. And I'm like, I don't really have anything in the house. And I love being put on the spot like that, like an iron chef. And I made this orange sesame glazed tofu, like from three ingredients. So that's what I love to do. But as far as like a production job, like at a restaurant that I don't love that, but I do love, I love to cook for myself and my husband and friends. And I think I like to bake even more because I I don't know. People seem to love dessert and, you know, you can get them in with dessert, even if they're not vegan, like desserts can get people in. <laughs> they sure can. And you were, and you were the executive, like, dessert chef at a yeah, restaurant for a I while. was. I wanted some chef experience for my resume because I didn't really know what I was going to do. But Santé Restaurant, which was on La Brea, right up the street from Pink's Hot Dogs, it's now closed, but I was a pastry chef there for, I think, four or five years. And again, it was a test job where I just made them stuff. So they didn't care that it was vegan, to be honest. It wasn't a vegan restaurant. I mean, they just wanted desserts that taste good. And they had a lot of celebrities that came in there. And yeah, so that was kind of fun because desserts don't give you the same pressure as like an executive chef because it's not like somebody's waiting for that minute. Like you, you, you have a little bit more breathing room and time. And I got my own little kitchen to cook in and I could make my own hours. And that's where that famous German chocolate cake was created because doc, it was actually because of Dr. Deal. He's like, I need a German chocolate cake. And I'm like, I don't know how to make one. And I figured it out. And so I'm, even back then I wasn't using oil. Like they didn't know and they didn't care, but they noticed like there was all this oil and they go, oh good. You know, we're saving money. She's not using up all the oil. I was using applesauce, which is much cheaper, for example. Speaking of desserts. So one of the differences, you move desserts to the back of the recipe. I forgot about that. That was a mistake. I guess. Yeah. I didn't realize back then I was such a food addict. And, and I used to, in the original version, I said, life is uncertain. Eat dessert first. You're right. And that was, a, yes, we moved the dessert chapter where it belongs to the end. And, you know, one of the desserts was in honor of your dad. I don't know if you know about hockey pucks. The hockey pucks that were originally called Essies. 
That's right. But then, and then at our house for dinner that night, Ann Wheat from Millennium Restaurant said, you can't call them Essies. These look like hockey pucks. And that was because I had heard that your dad liked to eat Reese's peanut butter cups on New Year's Eve. And I wanted to give him a way to do it without the sugar. And, you know, that was completely vegan. And yeah, those are fun. I'm actually making them tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. For, I don't think my father's still doing it but for, for probably a good decade there on, on uh, New Year's Eve. He would usually down, I don't know, eight to 12 Reese's peanut butter cups. And I don't know if you remember or not, but President Clinton told David Letterman that story uh, on the Letterman show. It was, That's hilarious. Yeah, it was hilarious. So you also, you've also written the, um, the Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss. Yes. And Absolutely. so I, I, I want to talk about food. I want to talk about your Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss. Tell me this. If somebody is sitting at home right now and they're 50 pounds overweight, what do you recommend? Like, what's the best way to start? <laughs> Read our shirts. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be kale, but truthfully, it, just start adding in more healthy food, especially food of a lower caloric density, like vegetables, like fruits and vegetables. So you say calorie density. For those people that are out there that have no idea what calorie density is, can you give us a like five minute tutorial on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Everybody knows that food has calories and a lot of people do count their calories or carbs or points or weigh and measure their food on a plate in an effort to lose weight. And it will work, but for most people, it's not going to be sustainable because when you try to eat less food, you get more hungry. If you understand calorie density, and again, this is from the work of Dr. Barbara Rolls at Penn State University who did hundreds of articles in the research uh, medical journals about this calorie density simply means calories per pound of food. It doesn't require you to count calories or even measure or, or, or understand that maybe half a cup of blueberries has this many calories or a cup of rice has this many calories. You only have to know what's called the average calorie density of a few major food groups. And these food groups vary in calorie density from about 100 calories per pound, which are non-starchy vegetables like kale and just about every vegetable to 4,000 calories a pound, which is oil, all oil. So there's a 40 fold difference in the calorie density of food. And I love how Dr. Doug Lyle has often said, people are not overweight because they eat too much food. They're overweight because they eat too many calories because our ancestors evolved at a calorie density of about 700 calories per pound. But now because of processed food, you know, we didn't always eat processed oil. Our the calorie density, the average calorie density of what people are eating is much higher than what the species evolved at. And so if you want to lose weight without going hungry, you need to understand calorie density because what Dr. Rolls discovered in her research lab at Penn State University, where she studies human eating behavior, is that human beings eat a consistent amount of food per day by weight. She calls it volumetrics, right? Right. Volumetrics. So we eat about, if in order to not be hungry, we each eat about three to five pounds of food a day. Now you probably, you are very athletic. You're a guy, you probably eat more pounds than me, but all of us without knowing it, because she studied this with children. She studied this over and over. We eat a consistent weight of food. And so if we want to keep eating the same amount of food so that we don't get hungry, we all, all we need to do is change the calorie density of the food we eat. And so one thing, it's the easiest thing is just take out the oil. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not vegan, nobody needs to eat processed oil. People are like, oh, my brain needs fat. There's fat in everything. There's fat in greens. There's trace amounts of fat in fruit. There's 
oats are almost 20% fat. If you want to eat fat, eat it in its whole form, like nuts, seeds, and avocado. But nobody needs to be having something that's 4,000 calories a pound. It's just, it's it, to me, that's like the most ridiculous triumph of marketing over science that anybody in our species or any species needs a processed oil that's not found in nature, that's had its vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants and fiber and water stripped from it. It makes no sense. So just if people just stop the oil, I bet you they'll see weight loss, even if they did nothing else. And I've actually run that experiment on my husband unknowingly once, and he did lose weight. And he's like, I'm, I've got cancer. I'm like, no, we just, I just <laughs> so, so that's calorie density is to eat foods that are lower in calorie density. And, you know, on the back of my book, I have this chart and you could get it online. I could even send yeah. you a PDF, but basically the foods that are lowest in calorie density fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes. These are the healthiest foods on the planet. These are whole foods that are found in nature and they have a calorie density of less than 600 calories per pound or less. But what else is significant is they contain fiber and water together intact. And when you have fiber and water in a whole plant food, you create what's known as bulk and bulk contributes to that feeling of satiety. And when you reach satiety sooner on fewer calories, you're less likely to overeat. But a lot of people are familiar with those three stomachs. There's a slide in a lot of talks yeah. where they show if you put 400 calories of oil in, you don't even see it because it doesn't activate the stretch nutrient or calorie receptors. If you put chicken or cheese in, it fills the stomach a little bit more, but unless you're willing to fill your food, stomach with whole plant food, because our stomach holds about a liter of food, about 4.22 cups, you're going to feel hungry. But the good news is, is these plant foods that are lowest in calorie density are also the foods that are highest in nutrient density. So it's, it's just a win-win situation. And these are the foods that our ancestors ate throughout most of, you know, most of human history. The problem is, is that most people are eating the majority of their calories, something like over 90% of them from animal products, which are a much higher caloric density and processed foods, flour, sugar, oil, which is a much higher caloric density. And the problem is these foods have no fiber and water. And when you don't have fiber and water, you're never going to feel full. You're always going to overeat on calories. That's so when somebody is overweight, they're eating a diet that is too calorically dense for their genetics. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Five minute explanation. Thank you for that. And in, in unprocessed, you talk about when, you know, when you were considering, consider yourself fat, you uh, had four food groups, sugar, flour, oil, and caffeine. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. Candies, cakes, cookies, pies, and ice cream. Exactly. That's, I mean, cause, because I wasn't, I was vegan for ethical reasons. So I wasn't even, I, I mean, I, that's the whole thing. And if you people that don't believe in food addiction, I mean, I just don't get it because that's what, that's all I ate was caffeine and sugar. I mean, how many people at the age of 43 need a Coke Slurpee just to get out of bed? I mean, that's a problem, you know? Yeah. I, th I just have to go back to that, that first statement that you made that you heard from Doug Lyle and I've heard it as well, but I think it just bears repeating and is that people don't become overweight because of how much food they eat. It's because of how many calories they eat. Wow. That, you know, that's really powerful. Right. Because one of the things I love about Dr. Rolls's book, because first of all, so many people in the plant-based movement use calorie density. And Dr. Dean Ornish had written a best-selling book, I believe it was around 1980, called Eat More, Way Less, which is exactly the definition of calorie density. And Dr. John McDougall wrote another best-selling book, McDougall Program for Maximum Weight Loss, again, based in the principles of calorie density. But what attracted me to Dr. Rolls's work were the pictures and that's why when I do a presentation, I use a lot of pictures because when I saw that for the same amount of calories in a quarter cup of raisins, I could have two cups of grapes. It was like, yeah. whoa, I want to be able to eat more food. It's going to be more satisfying. It's going to be more filling. 
And, and that's when I really started researching it and started interviewing her. And, and it's just calorie density is a game changer. It, once you understand it, or even if you don't understand it, if you're willing to uh, execute it in your life, it's, it's crazy how much food you get to eat when you understand it. So I get to eat more as a slender person than a heavy person. And when I teach at these spas like Rancho La Puerta, where they give these tiny spa portions, I mean, and then I'm like tiny and eating these huge plates of food with salads and vegetables and fruit people, because people, it's not their fault. It's not taught in school. We should teach calorie density instead of the memorization of the historic battles that occurred because it really is a game changer. It's like the best thing that I've ever experienced. It is. And there's so many, so many cool different ways of trying to illustrate to people what calorie density really is. So it really sinks in. And for example, you to me did a brilliant job in some of the presentations that you've done with the blenders and like, okay, this is like, you know, five apples, this is applesauce and then this is apple juice. And then you're like, whoa, that's pretty powerful. It's, it's amazing when people see the visuals, they, they, they kind of start to understand it. You know, one of the things that always stuck in my mind is because you said, what, 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 if somebody's 50 pounds overweight, what did they do? Well, well, first of all, you can be 50 pounds overweight on a vegan diet. I was, but it's very hard to be 50 pounds overweight. If, if you're on a calorically dilute unprocessed vegan diet, you know what I'm saying? If you're not eating tons of Ezekiel bread and nut butters and processed oil and restaurant food. So the first thing I would say to people to do is if, because nobody likes the idea of giving anything up, people just don't like that concept is to add in more healthy food of a low calorie density, which is particularly vegetables. You know, one of the things Dr. Goldhammer said that always stuck in my mind is he would always say, show me an overweight person. And I'll show you someone who is unwilling to eat enough salad and steamed vegetables because the caloric density of vegetables is so low that if you, you don't want to just eat them, you need that starch for satiety. But if you just include them in every meal, like half your plate, vegetables or salad or, or start with a salad or vegetables, adding in those high nutrient calorically dilute foods first, you start to fill your stomach, you start to activate the stretch receptors and the nutrient receptors, and you still want to eat the good stuff, the potatoes, rice, and beans, but you're diluting the overall calorie density of the meal. Soup is a perfect example because soup, especially because of the high water content, it, you get, it's just, I, I don't know. And when people can get it, they're like, oh my God, I get to, it, you get to eat so much. Like every meal is Christmas. It's like my husband doesn't eat the same way as me because he's really skinny and he eats like tons of nut butter sandwiches. He just can't keep weight on. But I look at the amount of food he eats, which is so small. And I look at the amount of food I eat, which is like so big. And then, you know, satiety actually begins with the eyes. When we see large volumes of food, we expect to be satisfied. That's why these weighing and measuring programs that give you 17 ounces of food per meal, seven ounces of vegetables. It's like, you know, you're going to be hungry. That's what I love about the in-person conferences, because we can talk about this all day, but it's when I, when I'm in person and people see, oh yeah, she really can eat me under the table. (laughs) That's right. That, that salad should have its own zip code. It's that big. You have seven C's to weight loss in, in the secrets to ultimate weight loss. Um, Do you want to share like a couple that you think are really important for people? Yeah. The seven C's to success. Well, I think the first one is commitment because without, without some kind of a commitment, you know, I don't think you're going to succeed at anything. So well, can I stop you there then? And just say that, you know, um, you talk about, there's a woman that it was, she was an acting coach of yours or teacher that said, how bad do you want it? That's right. 
Joan, Joan Darling. Yeah. And so like, is that what you mean by commitment? Like how bad do you want it? Well, you know, what my mom used to say, you know, I, it, what people, people that are interested will do whatever it's easy and people that are committed will do whatever it takes. And so I don't think you can, if, if you are somebody that's struggling with your weight, especially if you've struggled with a long time, I don't think you can dabble in weight loss the way you can, like in a, you know, oh, I'm going to take a painting class and see how it goes. You have to really be committed to the process because if you do it in a healthful manner, it is not a quick fix. It is not an overnight solution. It requires changing your lifestyle. And without that commitment, it's going to be very hard to be successful because then you're going to have your feet in both worlds. You're like, oh, I'm committed Monday through Friday, but on the weekend, I'm going to go out and have drinks and eat at restaurants. That's not a commitment. It really takes a high level of commitment to, 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 to do this. But you've, so, but you've coached literally thousands of people, right. Using your system. Yeah. What, what have you found with the people that are successful and they keep it off for an extended period of time? What's your definition of commitment? What does that look like? Well, I think one of the things is they have to know their why. You know, we talk about this idea of the why that makes you cry. If they don't know why they're doing it, let's say if if they're doing it because of an offhand comment from some doctor or, you know, somebody they're dating or to to fit into a dress for their daughter's wedding, that that, that's a very short term commitment and they're going to have short term results. But usually they need something more that's going to keep them going when they reach a plateau or when they have a bad day. And often it's a health scare. You know, it's often because they don't want to live in a state of debility or disease or get their legs amputated or lose their sight. So I think having a strong why, the why that makes you cry, because it's, listen, weight loss is doable, but for most people, apparently I'm learning, it's not that easy. What, what's your why? Well, I, I don't like to be in pain. And for me, what happened is when I broke my knee at the age of 49, and I was working as a pastry chef standing many hours a day, and then the knee would swell up, and it really hurt. And I went to the doctor and, you know, he wanted to do surgery. And that's my number one fear is surgery and anesthesia. It was like, I was literally willing to do anything to be out of pain, even eat healthy, even eat vegetables for breakfast. So that was my why, because when people say, oh, you're too thin, it's like, well, too thin for who? When you have a, a deranged knee like that, your doctors want you on the leaner side to avoid yeah. surgery. So I'm, I'm at the perfect weight for me. And my, I mean, my BMI is almost 20, so I don't know how I'm too thin. But my why is, you know, because the minute I get a little bit of knee pain, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember why I'm doing this. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to have surgery. And I also read that you, you hate hospitals more than funerals. Oh my God. Hospitals. Oh my. And I used to volunteer in one there. You just don't go to a hospital, stay out of the hospital. So. Yeah. And I don't know how many years ago it was now, but you also had some pretty uh, substantial precancerous polyps. Yeah. I know that was, the, that, you know, if I knew I was going to do this and be a broadcaster <laughs> and whatever, I would have like documented all these things like today's YouTubers do. I, I actually had the diagnosis of, pre, they called it precancer in 2003. And this was the greatest thing is when I, this is because I was a junk food vegan for 26 years, an ethical vegan, living on Coke Slurpees and Dr. Pepper and all kinds of vegan dessert. And when I woke up bleeding on January 1st, 2003, I was very concerned because we have a strong family history of colon cancer, had a grandmother to die that died of it, an uncle that had his 80% of his colon removed. So we already had the family history. And so when I went in and they did, they actually did a sigmoidoscopy. They didn't do a colonoscopy, which they, they should have, but I had an HMO at the time. My colon was riddled with these, what they called a dem, I think it's called a demitis pre, and they called it, I say, you have precancerous polyps. If we don't remove them, you will get colon cancer, but they couldn't remove them because my colon was, as I said, 
dirty because I hadn't eaten a fruit and vegetable for 43 years. I wasn't eating any fiber. So duh, I'm going to get something. Like but you did like broccoli. So you were I eating did like broccoli. broccoli and I did eat a little broccoli. I was working as an activity director and Javier, the chef, every night before I'd go home, he would steam some broccoli and give me some marinara. I, I, I don't know. I, I still like broccoli. I don't know why I love, I like broccoli. I should have a shirt that says broccoli because I really do love broccoli. So probably that saved me from full-blown colon cancer. And that's when I went to the Optimum Health Institute, July 6, 2003. And the, the I went to the San Diego train station. I took a train from LA. And before the cab driver took me there, I said, take me to 7-Eleven because I was told if you're caught with anything, they oh, kick you out. They don't give you a refund. And I remember July 6, 2003 at 4 p.m. Pacific time, drinking at the same time, my last Coke Slurpee and my last Dr. Pepper saying goodbye to the two men that I loved the most. And <laughs> that was that was really something. So um, yeah, so I switched from a junk food vegan diet to a, a you know, it was already vegan, but just unprocessed fruits. I wasn't eating any fruits and vegetables. And that is always a recipe for disaster. Uh, so, okay, good. Commitment. Got to find the why. It makes you cry. Good stuff. What, yeah. What's another C? Well, one of the things is, is, you know, you got to be, you got to have some degree of consistency. And I see too many people that flip flop through all these different programs and, you know, like they want to lose the weight quickly. So like, well, I'm going to do keto because I hear you drop weight quickly, which you do because you're dropping water weight and you're depleting your muscles and liver of glycogen, but you're not losing fat. This is what people don't understand. And Dr. Lyle talks about this so eloquently is that you lose only about two ounces of fat a day. And when the scale moves more than that, that's not fat that's water. And that's because you, maybe you were eating a lot of sodium and things like that. And so people I find are not very consistent because they're jumping around. They, they don't stick with one thing long enough to, 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 to see the calendar do its magic and to glean the results. And, you know, like I say, they, they, this idea of cheat days is just to me the worst idea in the world, because if you have to have a cheat day, then your diet is not going to be sustainable for you. I've always said, do the least restrictive program that you can do that will get you the results you seek. So I don't need a cheat day because for me, every day is a treat day because I eat huge volumes of air fried potatoes and sweet potatoes and rice and desserts made out of, I mean, dates and oats and fruit. I mean, my, my food is so delicious. What am I going to get as a cheat day? So if you need a cheat day, it's not going to work number one, and then you're not going to be consistent with the plan that will work. So I find that, you know, consistency is really, really important. You know, I love, you have so many like killer sayings and quotes, like what you just said, you said, uh, you don't have, you don't need any cheat days because every day is a treat day. Yeah. And and, you know, it's adorable. And and like, especially women, you know, you know, men, men can be heavier, I think, and still, you know, there, that's not the currency for men, you know, for women, it really is our attractiveness. And Dr. Lyle talks about this a lot in his beat your genes podcast. Our attractiveness as a woman is it's our, it's our mate value. And because he explains it in the stone age, there were no overweight women unless they were pregnant. And so that's why very often some men are not attracted to overweight women. And for women that have suffered for a long time, they don't know how good they can feel at a lower weight and, and, um, about themselves and just, just in general. And until they get there, it's so hard to articulate this, uh, this to them, but consistency is key. It's it's key in athletics. It's key in everything. It's key key in life. I think it's absolutely crucial in life. So uh, can you hit me with another C? 
Yeah. I, I just wanted to say that, you know, the, the, the slender body and having the calm, stable brain is the treat to me. Like that's the treat, not the cupcake or the cookie. So another C is compliance. And I love the word compliance because Dr. Goldhammer taught it to me because it doesn't have the emotional charge as other words. Like in medicine, the word compliance just means following a prescribed course of action. And if yeah. people don't like the word compliance, they can substitute the word adherence. It doesn't start with C because so many people would say to me when I was working one-on-one with people, which I no longer do, you know, because they would report to me every night and send me their food. Chef, they, they would use these words, Chef AJ, I was good today because I ate kale. I was bad today because I ate a cookie. And I try to explain to them that it's not a moral judgment or a moral failure if you eat this way or this way, that simply you're either eating compliant or you're not compliant. So it's not that cookies are bad for everyone all the time, but if you're on this program, they're not compliant. They're not on this program. And it takes the emotional charge and the judgment away from it. It's like, oh, I ate something non-compliant. Doesn't feel the same as I ate something bad. Because if you eat something bad, then you assume, well, you are a bad person. So being non-compliant or not inherent, I think helps people feel better about themselves if they have a little slip. So, but compliance, you know, the greater the degree of compliance you are on any program, the greater success you'll yeah. see. Yeah. And it ties in really nicely with consistency and commitment. And I agree. There's something about, you know, was it compliant as opposed to good or bad? It's not nearly as charged. No, I don't think it is. Oh, well, I, I ate some non-compliant food. Yeah. I, I mean, at least for me, when I say that, I don't feel bad about yeah. myself. No, you're right. It removes that judgment. That's really brilliant. Okay. Can you hit me with another one? Yeah. Well, this one you are the king of with I your am. events, which is community, because oh. it's with this sea of community that I see more people have trouble. No man is an island, said John Dunn. And in the vegan world, plant-based world, we're already such a minority. And most people don't have their families completely on board. If they are not surrounded, at least occasionally, like your retreats or your groups with like-minded people they're going to have a hard time unless they're really disagreeable introverts. And I know a few of them that just don't care what anybody else thinks they're going to have a hard time without some kind of community. And especially for weight loss, it's very hard to do this alone. And I remember I interviewed uh, your dad's, uh, I don't know if he's your boss or coworker, but Dr. Michael Royzen once at the Cleveland. And he said that having a buddy, like for support when you're trying to make a lifestyle change, whether it's starting to exercise or quit smoking or lose weight is more powerful than taking like an anti-addiction medicine for the same thing. It's that powerful to have a community and a community doesn't have to be thousands of people because a lot of people live places where they're like the only vegan and it doesn't even necessarily have to be in person. One of the nice things the pandemic taught us, while it's certainly better to be in person, to be able to hug people, you can really get a lot out of Zoom. It's so funny because I just saw somebody that I hadn't seen since the pandemic in three years in person, but I didn't feel like I, but I was zooming with them every, like, it didn't feel like I hadn't seen them. You know what I'm saying? So we can still create meaningful connections thanks to zoom or these other platforms, or even, you know, even a texting relationship or an email relationship, but you have to have, you know, I, 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 you have to have, um, some kind of accountability often, like I call them the ABCs of accountability. You need um, some, you 
can have a, a buddy, you can have a coach, but a community, it's you, you feel like you're not the only one doing this. And so when your kids don't want to eat this way, or your husband doesn't want to eat this way, and your friends don't eat this way, it's like you have a soft place to fall and you know you're doing the right thing and you can share recipes and successes and, and any problems that you have. But I mean, I can't imagine, you know, not having a community of, of some people uh, in, in your life that are doing the same thing as you. Yeah, it's huge. I know when I wrote my first book, you know, The Engine to Diet back in 2009, I made every one of the participants that went through my little pilot study have a, well, I called it a fire buddy, right? And you had to have one or two fire buddies. And then once a month, we would have potlucks at, uh, at my house. And then, of course, we started the Facebook page and now my Mighty Networks. And anyway, that's community. I absolutely, so, so important. As you've heard, Chef AJ and I have been talking about her six C's of sustainable weight loss. And one of those C's is community. I'd like to share an email that I received from Lonely Vegan. And she writes, there's a joke going around social media these days. It goes, what's the hardest thing about being a vegan? It's not talking about being a vegan. It's sad because it's true. I've been whole food, plant-based for four years, and I'm very happy with my decision. I've seen many positive results. It's hard socially though. My husband is supportive, but is not interested in changing his eating habits, even though he's watched Forks Over Knives and The Game Changers with me and agrees with everything that he's seen. My friends and other family members support my decision, but they are not interested in hearing about it either. So I'm learning to keep quiet while they talk about their aches and pains and prescriptions and operations. I keep myself motivated by reading and listening to podcasts. I imagine that I am not alone in this situation. It would be helpful to hear how others handle this isolation. Thank you. Lonely Vegan, thank you for that very honest email. And you're absolutely right. As much as we want to shout from the rooftops about all the benefits of a whole food plant-based lifestyle to keep people off of their medications, procedures, operations, it is sometimes not received in the way that it is intended. And so a couple of things. We'll definitely talk about this all too common dilemma of having to go it alone in future podcasts. But I also want you to know that we at Plant Strong do not want you to feel unsupported. And this is why we have a super robust community of support, inspiration, and encouragement that's almost 30,000 strong with our free online community at community.plantstrong.com. So if any of you out there are feeling alone, not part of a community, go to community.plantstrong.com and join ours. We also have our wonderful Plant Strong retreats every year where people can join people literally from all over the globe who have come together for one purpose, and that's to enhance their life with a whole food plant-based lifestyle. You can join us on the Black Mountain each spring just outside Asheville, North Carolina, 
or you can join us among the stunning red rocks of Sedona, Arizona in the fall. This year, we're in Sedona in October. And if you are a healthcare provider, our retreats include CMEs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs. So come away with us and elevate your personal and professional life at one of our immersive experiences. For all the details, go to planstrong.com and click on events. What's another C? Well, I changed it when I wrote the book because when I used to give this lecture in person, one of the C's was continuing education, which I still think can be really important, but we changed it to cooking. And by cooking, I don't mean you have to be a five-star chef, but you've got to have some basic basics. You got to be able to get that healthy food in your house, whether you use a food delivery service or have somebody prepare it. But if somebody would just learn some rudimentary cooking skills, like throwing stuff in an instant pot, you know, I think if you don't have the food ready, it's going to be a problem. What's, what's really- your, so uh, you, you love the Instapot, right? I do love the Instant Pot and yeah. the air fryer. Those are my two favorite tools. Two favorite. So would you, if, if, if somebody was to say, Chef AJ, what are five things that I should spend $500 on to put into my kitchen? What would you say? Well, see, unfortunately, the Breville's about 400 So that's going to take a lot of that. Okay. Money. But no, no. they don't have to get the Breville. I, yeah. I do believe an Instant Pot. Mm. Okay, so I would say an Instant Pot. Yes. which, you know, it's less than a hundred dollars. Now I would say a rice cooker, because even though you can cook uh, rice in an instant pot, I really prefer it in a rice cooker. You can cook other grains. And by the way, the Aromi rice cooker at Costco is $29. So now we're up to about $150. You can get a pretty good air fryer for like a hundred dollars. So now we're up to two fifty. So now we're going to need some kind of a food processor or blender. Let's see, we have $250 left. I've seen some high powered blenders for a hundred. So now we're at three fifty, and for sure you can even get a Cuisinart at Costco. I've seen them for one forty nine. So there's your five hundred dollars and your five appliances. Wow, wow. What about a what about a pan? Like, do you have a a pan that you yeah, recommend? I have a well. My pan is so old, like me, because it's a it's a pampered chef one that I don't think exists. But again, my my recommendation to people is always get the biggest and the best that you can afford at the time, and so you can get pieces of cookware like salad master, like for $2,000 and you can get a pretty decent nonstick. When I say nonstick, I mean like a, a scan pan or a, a copper chef or a, a, they call it a green pan green pan for $29. Yeah. So I think that, uh, or even a good piece of stainless steel cookware. So I, I, I like to have something with a greater big size because I don't like these small pans because if I'm sauteing, for example, like kale recipes where I've sauteed some onion and garlic, I want to be putting in big bunches of kale. It's not going to fit in a little tiny saucepan. So I have more of a larger wok pan that, that will fit lots of greens and things like that, which would be great. Uh, you might have a pan already that would, that would be, that would suit your purposes, but you know, most chefy chefs will just say stainless steel. I I've tried the salad master and I know there's people that love it, but I could never figure it out. It seems so complicated. And for the average person, it's, it's very expensive. Yeah. Especially if you want cooking to be one of your C's. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of cooking, you know, you said that you kind of embraced the principles of calorie density about 10 years ago. Yeah, I know. I I remember dates, January 2nd, 2012. Okay. And so walk me through a typical day of what does Chef AJ eat? Because we got a lot of people that want to know how you do this. All right. So I'm going to say that 
being 50 pounds lighter, I eat less now than during the weight loss phase. I needed a lot more food uh, because, you know, you do the more you weigh, you more you need, you know, roughly 10 calories per pound of body weight. I want to tell people that I don't eat breakfast, not because I'm doing intermittent fasting, because Chef AJ never ate breakfast unless you count Coke Slurpee's breakfast. I don't know why I'm not hungry in the morning. I was never a breakfast eater. So my first meal is lunch, which could be anywhere from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So you don't even eat breakfast if you've like worked out. I really don't. And I did work out today and I have still haven't had it for, okay. for an hour. I don't get hungry. I don't know why I don't get hungry until lunch. And I yeah, tried yeah. not eating the day before because people said, oh, it's much better if you had a heavy breakfast and a heavy lunch and light dinner. And so I tried that. I didn't eat once for like a whole day and I still wasn't hungry until lunch. What is it that McDougal says? Like, you know, have breakfast like you're a breakfast, like a king, lunch, like a prince, dinner, like a pauper. I have lunch, like a king, dinner, like a prince and breakfast, like a pauper, because I'm not having any breakfast. Right, right. So anyway, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, That's okay. So um, my first, I love lunch. It's my biggest meal. I'm so hungry, not so hungry, but for me, hunger is the best sauce. And so by lunch, I'm really ready to eat. I'm really hungry. So it's a combination of starch and vegetables. And really it hasn't changed in 10 years because I love sweet potatoes. And when I say sweet potatoes, I don't mean the orange ones, which are very pedestrian, but they're okay. If you do, fries. I mean, I do like the orange ones in certain things, but I love the Hannah yam, which is the white sweet potato or the Jersey sweet potato or the Japanese, the Murasaki or the Korean. These taste like cake. And I, I roast them and I sometimes just eat them roasted. And sometimes I chill them and then air fry them. But I, I mean, I would imagine I'm eating a pound and a half if I had to measure it a pound and a half after cooking, but it's a lot. And I love them. And I eat them either with a vegetable, a non-starchy vegetable, broccoli being my favorite, but I also have become quite fond of Brussels sprouts glazed with balsamic vinegar and Dijon mustard or more that's a recipe in your book. Yeah, And it's really good. It's really, really good. And that's also, I think that recipe you use a bag of frozen Brussels. Sprouts, yeah. It, yes, absolutely. So it's simple. Easier. It was easier. And I found, especially for people that don't like the taste of cruciferous vegetables, the baby Brussels sprouts, which you can get in the freezer section of places like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's, they're much milder. They don't have that you know, that kind of stinky feeling that people that don't like them like, and there's, and and they're very easy to cook in the microwave for a few minutes or in the air fryer for 20 minutes and they're tiny and they're quite delicious. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, sweet potatoes, let me ask you this. Is there any plant food that you like more than sweet potatoes? Mm, I don't think so. I really don't. I, I don't think so. Okay. So would you say that you like Charles and Bailey more than sweet potatoes? No, I love them more than sweet potatoes. <laughs> that's, I do, and I even you. put that in my book. So it's Charles that's... Bailey sweet potatoes. That's the order of life. Yeah. <laughs> and they and it's funny because Charles does not like sweet potatoes. Bailey does. It's like, how do you not like sweet potatoes? That is the craziest thing to me to not like sweet potatoes. Oh my gosh. They're and so... then what about and so so sweet potatoes and broccoli? And then what about yeah. dinner? Yeah. Well, but sometimes I eat a chopped salad. That's really been really fun for me because I, I, I developed TMJ last year. And so a lot of chewing was a little hard. And so we started making these chopped salads where everything is chopped really finely. We have our greens, we have carrots, 
purple cabbage, green cabbage. And Charles uses this tool and it's really, and it's, it makes it really easy to eat. So I love that. So sometimes I'll eat that with the sweet potatoes. So dinner is honestly a recipe from my book. And so last night we had from this book, we had the sweet potato enchiladas, but I was too lazy to roll the enchiladas. So I did it casserole style. And that was really delicious. Tonight we're having tostadas made with Spanish rice. And I don't know what book that's in. It's probably on YouTube. Uh, we often just have a uh, steamed vegetables and rice for dinner. We just, you know, I really do make the recipes for my book. So dinner is always something different, but I like to batch cook. So for example, when I make cauliflower bisque, it makes so much. So there's some in the freezer. So I'm going to take that out. I know that's dinner tomorrow. And then I also have some black bean mushroom chili in there. So that'll be dinner on uh, Sunday night. I love my sweet potato burgers. I batch cook those at, because they're, those are, they taste just as good out of the freezer. Yeah. I mean, not out of the freezer, but when you just stick them in the toaster oven or the air fryer. So I really do make my recipes and I have them in rotation and yeah, dinners like that. And usually for dinner, I'm usually too full after lunch to eat dessert and even, even, even a piece of fruit because I do lunch is just, I just go crazy. I love lunch. Um, I love dinner too, but dinner I've already eaten five hours ago, so I'm not as hungry, but I do try to stop eating by seven because I like to have a little bit of time before I lay down, you know, at least three hours. It just feels better to my tummy to do that. Um, so yeah, dinner's more like of a social thing because maybe that'll be with Charles or with friends, but, but lunch is like my, lunch is my smorgasbord. It's like, just let me have my food. I was watching you on Instagram live the other day, maybe a week ago, and you were showing your kitchen and your pantry and you were pulling stuff out of your fridge. I was stunned and amazed at how organized everything is. Yeah, you've got to be. That's the secret. No, you know, you, you asked me, like, how would you, where would people start? People organization is very important. Making your bed first thing in the morning. It all starts with that, because once you don't do that, nothing gets done. I've nothing. learned that as a, as a human being. But but people I say, oh, Chef AJ, you know, you have so much willpower. I can't do this. I don't have any more willpower than any other human being but I am organized. And by that, I mean, I have a clean environment, meaning I don't keep junk food in my house and I always have healthy food ready. So guess what? When somebody's hungry, the only options in my house are healthy food. And it's so funny because about right before the pandemic, I, I was thinking of doing, I, I occasionally I teach business courses, like how to be successful in a plant-based business with, with this other company. And I thought, oh, that'd be really fun. I want to do a business course. So I was going to create one. Then the pandemic happened. It never happened. So we did a pilot course of just a business course. And we had four people staying with us and they were all different shapes and sizes. And I fed them because it was just too much trouble to have to go out. So I gave them all their meals while they were here. And they were here over a period of sorry, Sunday, Monday, 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 and nine days. And, and they just basically ate what I ate. And they were like, oh, you're feeding us too much. Oh no, there's dessert. And by the way, dessert in my world is like an apple pie made out of oats and apples and dates or, you know, jam bar made out of oats and bananas, things like that. Yep. And they all, after they went home, they all had lost weight anywhere from one to four pounds, just eating like, like me, but the food's always ready. You've got to have the food ready. If you can't do it, have somebody else do it. But if you have, first of all, all you have is healthy food in your house, you and your family will eat it. It's only when there's other options that there's a problem. That's so, I love hearing how organized you are and how that kind of it's not about willpower, but you, there's certain things you can do to set yourself up for success and make it that much easier. All right. What's you got another C for me? 
Are we, well, are we- um, yeah, I think there was two more change, you, you know, change, you have to be willing to change. Now, there's a saying nobody likes change except for a wet baby. And the thing is, is it's t- change is difficult. It really is. But you, you have to at least be willing to change. And that means changing a lot of things. You're not only changing what you eat, but sometimes you even have to change who your friends are. I can't tell you how many people have lost friends just because they're vegan now. Right. I mean, it's crazy, but, or because they stopped drinking alcohol because now they're not fun anymore. So that's why community is so important because you're going to actually have to replace these people with, with better friends and healthier friends and like-minded people. But the idea is, is you're going to have to change a few things. You're going to have to change the way you cook. If you're used to dousing the pan with oil, you're going to have to change that. So being change is not never easy, but you just have to be willing to change and you have to be willing to embrace change. And to the degree that you're willing to change, the more success you'll probably achieve in these areas of weight loss and health restoration and things like that. Change is never easy, but I think we need a little paradigm shift that it can, it's, it's what human growth is about. And it's also about kind of exploration and, um, potentially becoming a better version of yourself. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I learned is that change is about one of the only things in life that you can be certain of. And unfortunately, a lot of people rip don't change until the pain associated with change is actually less than the pain of staying the same. Hmm. That's, that's good. Another, yeah. another, <laughs> another one of your quotes. I love if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. And that is never not true. It's so true, right? You're drawn to it like a mouth, a moth, a mouth, a moth to flame. Yeah, it's um, the pleasure trap 101. And people think, oh, you know, I'm just going to say these affirmations, not my food. I don't know how people can coexist. It's like, I mean, I mean, yes. I mean, can an alcoholic learn to live with alcohol in the house? Maybe, but why would you want to do that to yourself? Because, you know, willpower is a very limited resource and it depletes as the day goes on. And when you've had a bad day, mm. and especially you haven't eaten enough starch and you're hungry, it's impossible to resist the temptation. It's just too much for an average mortal to do that. So yeah, that's really hard for people that live in an unclean environment. You, you know, you, you are, you are an extremely hard worker, aren't you? I'm very conscientious. I, I do like to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just rem- thinking about you're on your thousands episode since March. What, what a grind. I mean, it, that is a bit of a grind. Yeah. I know you absolutely adore it and love it, yeah. but would you say that on average, do you have to spend like an hour or two or three preparing for each one? Yeah. Of well, you know, it depends on the interview. Like when I'm interviewing, like, like, like if I were going to interview you, like as a friend, we would be having a fun conversation like this. And I wouldn't spend hours because I know you and I might listen to a couple recent podcasts. But like when I had Rangam on Richard Rangam, who wrote Catching Fire, I mean, I spent 12 hours. 12 hours preparing for that, not only reading his book, but, you know, because I didn't know him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, or, or like Michael Moss, when I have somebody that I don't know, well, I get really nervous and I do, I do, I do prepare a lot because I don't want to look like a dumb dumb, you know, and not, not know their work. Um, who is the, uh, the guest that you've had on your show more than anyone else? That I, that I, that I really remember in my heart and stuff no, like that. No, no, Who have oh, you oh, had? Oh, more times. More times. Oh, gosh. Um, all right. Is it, is it John McDougal? 
It could be John McDougall now, but it might be Doug Lyle because see, even when I started out, Dr. Lyle asked to come on once a month when possible. So it's either Dr. McDougall or Dr. Lyle now. Yeah. And then, but it's funny because now what's happening is I'm getting all these doctors. Can I have a, a, a monthly slot? And maybe it'll become that. I don't know, but it's so much fun. And I'm so wow. honored that people want to talk to me. And it's, and to me, it's just like you and I having a conversation and I, I really love it. I mean, I look for, it's something worth getting up for every morning and, you know, I remember in certain guests, and you probably had this too, they just, they tug at your heart. And like, I don't know if you remember Sarah Taylor, she was a vegan author that had brain cancer and mm-hmm. she came on twice and just like stuff like that's just so inspiring, you know, to, to hear from people that are like at the end of their life and they still want to be helping people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, it's the non, you know, and also this is the other thing. My show isn't a vegan show. In other words, like you don't have to be vegan to be on the show. You just can't be promoting animal products, for example. And uh, one of my favorite guests, and you might want to have her on just because she was such a delight was Elaine LaLanne, the wife of Jack LaLanne. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Jack LaLanne, you have some really cool quotes from Jack in, uh, in your book. Yeah. He's he, I, of all the people I wish I could have met he was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he has that quote that I used to use a long time ago, which is um, eating healthy is then again, this is a little sexist, but eating healthy is King exercises, queen combine the two. Yeah, they're, they're the key. And I love, he said, um, if God made it, eat it, if man made it, don't eat it. And that really is the secret that really kind of right there is the secret to weight loss, calorie density, you know, totally. Who you, who you got on your show uh, today? Today is a doctor that I've never met, Michael Edelstein, but he's vegan and he does something called three minute therapy. So that should be interesting. I've never, I, I love that. I don't meet them. I, I do like Johnny Carson because yeah. a lot of guests like, can we jump on a call or can I come on early? And I go, no, I mean, cause I don't, cause sometimes if I do that magic will happen before. And then it's not recorded. So I go, no, I really, you know, we'll start at 11. It'll be fine. I, and I really like to take care of my guests because I don't want to ever be a mean host or anything. Even when people disagree with me or I disagree with them and like, I kind of want to roll my eyes. I just, I let them say what they want and move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have help? Do you have production help or anybody? I wish, gosh, I mean, I wish I could just take it to the next level and have a theme song. I have my husband, but nope, it's just us right now. So (laughs) that's good. So it's you and Charles and Bailey. Yeah, Bailey. Bailey doesn't really do very much. And Bailey, it's so funny because I don't, I don't really understand super chat donations, but somebody gave me a bell that I'm supposed to ring anyway. So it scared Bailey. So then somebody sent me another bell. <laughs> it's less scary to Bailey, but that's still scarier. So now oh, I've got a bell that's, <laughs> that's Bailey's job in the show is to. Yeah, that's a bit of a bit of a pitiful bell right there. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, I want to talk about just some, um, so a lot of people want to know how to season their food. Mm. You, do you have like, I, I know you love Benson's and you, you're a big. Kind of- Dylan Holmes has well, your world spices that are completely SOS free. I mean, and there's so many spice shops in the world, maybe not in everyone's area, but there's local spicery, there's Penzi's, there's savory spice, you know, like actual stores that literally only sell spices. You can actually taste them. And many of them are salt free, but I am like your dad I'm a, and your mom. I'm a fan of balsamic vinegar. It comes in over 30 flavors. It makes everything taste delicious. Yeah. I know. I know you've got a relationship with what is it? 
California, California balsamic, balsamic but I, any brand that you like. Okay. I mean, what, the reason I've developed a relationship with him is he tended to have more savory flavors, like like sweet heat and blazing habanero, and I, I like the savory more than the sweet. But but gosh, I love vinegar. I mean, it's delicious, and that's that. And also fresh herbs. It's such a great way to season your food. I made a fresh herb chutney. The recipes in the book that you showed earlier, because I had a bunch of leftover herbs from another recipe. I had some mint. I had some Italian parsley. I had some cilantro, and I. I threw it in the blender with a jalapeno pepper, a couple of dates and some lime juice. And like, it was amazing. I put it on some uh, pasta that was made out of kohlrabi and it was delicious herbs and spices, roasted garlic. There's, I mean, food does not have to be bland and boring. It can have as much flavor as you want, but spices are, are I think spices are the spice of life. Yeah. 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 So, you know, one of the, the signature dishes in all of my cookbooks is the raise the mm-hmm. roof, uh, sweet potato lasagna. What are two or three of your like, just like most popular recipes that people are screaming for? Okay. So um, I know that your lasagna is good, but I want to have a cook-off with you one day. <laughs> okay. It's fine. That's yeah. one thing I want. I actually want to do like an iron chef. So, so that's, that's chef, one of my, mo- but that's chef AJ's disappearing. Yeah, lasagna. Yeah. And that's one of my most popular. And so I teach at a, a spot in Cacate, Mexico called Rancho La Puerta, hands-on cooking. And the recipe that is always a, a, a showstopper that we do in every class, even though every class has to be different is the stuffed mushrooms. And that's the one that I, that your mom ate like 13 of them. And that's why she got so full because we didn't do the low fat version with the garbanzo beans. We did the high fat version with the pine nuts. And that one, everybody likes regular eaters, sad eaters. So the pesto stuffed mushroom is one and, you know, the, pretty much all the desserts. I don't know which one. Would they what about like. the hail to the kale? Well, that one, that one was actually sold at Whole Foods for a while in, in Pasadena when they had a Chef AJ designated salad bar. So that was really, really popular. But, you know, like the, the chocolate desserts, like the oh chocolate mousse tort. And that's just nuts and dates. I mean, yes, nuts are calorically dense, but if there's no flour in it or sugar and, uh, and people do like that one quite a bit. Yeah. Are you, do you ever go out to eat at like Sharky's or something like that? Isn't there you like know, a, I, an item on them? Sh- isn't there an item on the menu? Yeah. I, so that was a funny story in 2010, when I broke my knee, I was going for swimming rehab at Valley college. And I, and as I would get so hungry being in the pool for two hours. So I'd go to Sharky's and they'd always make a mistake. I'd come home, there would be salmon in my burrito or cheese. And I finally gave up and the CEO contacted me, came to my cooking class. I explained that organic and vegan are not the same thing. So they created something that for 10 years was on the secret menu, the AJ burrito, which then became the AJ bowl and the AJ plate. Unfortunately in the desert, we don't have a Sharkies. I know the last time I was there, I went to Sharkies and I had the AJ uh, burrito. It was awesome. It's delicious. It's broccoli and beans and rice and pico de gallo. And I was clueless. I had no idea. And I was staying uh, with the Nelsons, Jeff and Sabrina and the twins. Uh, and, uh, that's where we went. We had a delicious meal. I know. And I get nothing from that except they're using my name, but I'm so happy because it really is yummy. Yeah. Is there a difference between garbanzo beans and chickpeas? Same, same thing. It's like, is there a difference between green onions and scallions? As far as I know, they're the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. AJ, it is so fantastic to see you. I am so thrilled with where you've landed you know, you've got your own place. You got your own show. You're just changing people's lives left, right, and center. It's a beautiful thing. If people want to know more, where can they find you? What's all your info? 
Well, my website is my name, chefaj.com. But if you show up on YouTube 24 seven, any day of the week at 11 a.m. Pacific time, I'm going to be live with somebody. And I got your mom and your sister booked for August already for their oh, next good. book. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And you got a hundred, like over 150,000 followers yeah. on your YouTube channel. It, it was the pandemic because it wasn't that high and it, it just kept, it's, it's growing slowly and steadily. It's fantastic. Thank you. Huge, huge success. 10th anniversary, unprocessed. What a great name. So plant exclusive, Chef AJ, unprocessed. Mm, delicious. All right. Um, hey, will you do the sign off with me? Peace. Yep. Peace. Engine two. Engine two. Keep it plant strong. Plant strong, baby. Yeah. Kale, yeah. Yeah, eat your damn kale. I think every day is a treat day when you're learning from Chef AJ. The latest release of Unprocessed is out now, and we'll be sure to link all of those resources in the show notes on the episode page of plantstrongpodcast.com. We'll see y'all next week. Until then, find that why that makes you cry and keep it plant strong. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.